it's why I love athletes. When you really get to know them, it's really fascinating how they talk about fans. They've got whatever variable, no matter how you take it, pro and con, what I, if, you, if you melt every athlete, what they really say when they talk about fans is, they just don't know. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Hello everybody, it's Gary Vaynerchuk, and this is episode three, 336? 26, I was thinking about it. 326 of the Ask Gary V Show. Uh, I'm super excited uh, to have uh, Tillman Fertitta here with me. I'm gonna let him introduce himself, but we are taking questions on Facebook today. And so uh, let's just get right into it, Tillman. Thank you for being on. Hey, it's exciting to be here, Gary. Uh, everybody wants to come and be on the Gary V Show. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. So tell me, what, for, for the group that's watching right now or listening that doesn't know who you are, I'm a big fan of the origin story. So why don't you, why don't you tell everybody, A, what you currently, how you currently position yourself? Because one thing I adore about you from afar is you got your hands in a lot of different stuff. It's that kind of entrepreneurial mindset. I can attest to that, I understand it. Uh, so when somebody says, somebody meets, sits down with you and says, you know, and doesn't know who you are, they're like, what do you do? How do you answer it? Um, <laughs> that's really funny. That doesn't happen that often, but when it does, I just say, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to make a few dollars. I have a few <laughs> little businesses and, uh, you know, my main business is a company called Landry's. It's about 600 restaurants and Landry's owns everything from, from Mastro's to Martin's to Rainforest to Bubba Gump to Saltgrass to Ocean Air to Dos Caminos to Bill's Burgers and on and on and on. There's like 50 How many, brands. Five zero. Five, yeah, about 50 brands and uh, over 500 restaurants. But And then the five Golden Nugget casinos are mine. And then uh, and aquariums, amusement parks, catch. Uh, and then uh, I have this little sports team called the Houston Rockets. And uh, I do that on the side when I'm not busy. Was, was, uh, <laughs> so let's take it all the way back. Where were you born? What kind of kid were you? I was born in Galveston, Texas. Uh, it's a BOI, and uh, I was I was never the smartest kid in the class. I can honestly tell you that. And uh, I can remember a teacher telling me once, you know, Mr. Fertitta, we know you have leadership abilities, but it, go ahead, I'm listening. We know you have leadership ability, Mr. Fertitta, but we wish you would lead in the right direction. Look at this. <laughs> I don't know how bad you were at school, but this is probably my pride and joy. My report card. It's pretty fucking ugly. It is a, uh, it is a, uh, it's a doozy. As you're getting your glasses, why don't I? Oh, there you go. No, no, so, I've, got, I've got to see these grades to see who was worse, me or you. Hmm. This looks like one of mine in third grade. Uh, this, <laughs> this is my is high school. You know what? I I I am going to look at my find, look I'm at my go, class rank. Look, I'm gonna, look down there. Two forty all the way at the bottom. Two forty three out of two fifty four. There were only 11 kids in my school that were worse than me. And there's no shot any of the 11 of them are alive. <laughs> just to put into context. <laughs> that, that is so good. I just love this because I wasn't far behind. And, and, and that's what's amazing is I've, I've talked to entrepreneurs. Uh, we're given a different ability and, and it's, a, it's a God-given ability and we yes. just know how to do it. Yes. And uh, Knowing the, that you've been around sport, you know, do you view entrepreneurs like athletes that way? Like James Harden was given a gift. That's obvious to a lot of people. It's a little less obvious where you're going with this on the entrepreneurial kick, but I couldn't agree with you more. 
Gary, I talk about it all the time. I talk about it in this book that that God gave us all an ability, and he decided, Tillman, I'm not going to make you a musician because I took guitar lessons for four years, and I still couldn't <laughs> play a chord. I'm not going to let you win a, 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 a Grammy. I'm not going to let you win an Emmy. We're sure not going to ever let you be an NBA all-star or be a professional athlete, but you know what we're going to do? We're going to give you a good little business brain where you know how to make money, and I realized that when I was in elementary school. I would carry my business around i wouldn't i wouldn't have uh, uh i wouldn't read a comic book or do anything i was selling candy and anything else i could buy and sell in junior high in high school i was already trading the stock market um in in college i was, was i was already booking bets <laughs> <laughs> i get it was the family like what, what did your parents my, my my dad owned a seafood restaurant when i was growing up and was an entrepreneur and there's lots of entrepreneurs in our Family, family genetic yep. pool on both sides. That's cool. And and uh, and so I definitely it's a gene. Okay? Yes, no it, question, without a doubt, no and, question. And and uh, but I can remember my dad though after I had my fifth restaurant and I was making a couple of million dollars a year, saying, "Why do you want to do any more? I mean, you're making you made more it. money. You have you made, made it. it. You have. I mean, you that, are by the living. way, by the way, when I I helped build my dad's one wine store into a national e-commerce player in the late '90s. And everybody in my high school and my friend group said I'd made it. And and I remember like when they would say that to me at 28, 29, 30, and I left at 34, it was a family business. I built it from a three to a $60 million business. And then I left, started at zero, because it was my dad's business. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to give back to my dad. I was born in the Soviet Union. I was very proud and grateful for what my parents did for me. But at 29, 30, 31, my friends were like, you made it, right? Because they would read the articles, they would hear the numbers. And I used to laugh. I'm like, they don't even know that I'm about to restart from zero. Totally. Made it. Like, by the way, I feel like I haven't fucking started right now. I get up every day and it's kind of funny and I'm a little older than you and it's just sport. And uh, when I was 21, I won my first Cadillac selling Shackley vitamins. I I said, when I'm 35, I'm going to buy my first jet. I did. And, uh, you know, on and on and on. Let me ask you a question. Have you thought about tangible things like were you that kind of like like for example it doesn't come natural to this day i don't want i want to buy the new york jets so you've accomplished something i want to do right but i don't want anything else in between but were you somebody who wanted stuff like cadillac jets were like you were like you like that shit or you thought it meant something like i'm just curious how your brain works no no totally i mean i had in my brain that this is what i want and i'm going to try to get from point a to point b however i have to do it and I hope you're not in the way because I'll have to run over your ass. Okay, yeah, I understand. <laughs> but but, uh, but uh, I, I wanted the Cadillac. I wanted the the um, the. Can air, I ask you? The, can I ask you a deep question? Deep. Do you think you wanted that to show the people that thought you were not going to win that you were winning as an indicator? I think about this a lot. I don't have this great need to like show anybody. I actually, it's unbelievable to me how much I don't give a fuck if they know if I'm winning or not. I'm just obsessed with the process. However, there are many other things I have. I'm just always curious with ones that uh, go along the way, because we're all different in our nuances. I'm always fascinated by what did those things represent? Was it people, some people just like stuff. Like I'm fascinated by people who love a car or a jet. They understand it. They're like, it's got the horsepower. And I'm like, what the fuck, right? And then there's other people who need it to be like, I'm gonna fucking show Susan Thompson in third grade who didn't go to the dance with me that she fucked up. No, I think it was more of, of, of the luxury. 
and and uh, you know how I wanted to live. I don't, yeah. I, I don't, I never had that mentor, and I also never had that. I need to show you so. It was more in competitiveness with myself and yep. how I wanted to live. Yep. And uh, you know, I'm proud that I've never gone through a TSA line. Okay. And and, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and, and what's crazy about that? This is where, what I love about this shit, Tillman. And on the flip side, I put out so much content of me being at the airport, like I on the flip side love that I limit my private travel. And we're doing the same thing. We're both putting something that we've subjectively decided is important on a pedestal. No, 100%. Yeah. It's interesting. It's yeah, interesting. I mean, every day I'm like, I'm such a fucking idiot. Time is the only asset. And I'm fucking putzing around on like fucking, you know, commercial. But then I'm like, fuck, so many people are watching. They get so much visuals around private and all this stuff. And like, I'm still comfortable I, like this. I like it. And it's a very interesting thing that I play ping pong in my head. No, because, you know, even so many close friends of mine have, have always said to me, are you ever going to take me on one of your jets? I've known you for all these years. I don't do anything to show off. It is strictly. I believe you. This is the way I want to live. I believe you. Okay, it's all about how you want to live. What's the what's the what's the weirdest thing? What's the least efficient thing you do that is around how you want to live? Like, what's something that's silly? Like, like I think me flying commercial is silly. It's not a good use of my time, but it's how I want to live, so I understand it. What is something funny that you do that doesn't make sense? Uh, probably. Uh, you know, I loved being in Monte Carlo on my yacht, but going shopping in Zara and coming back to my boat and laying out to all of my crew <laughs> that look what I look at all these jackets I just bought, how at, gorgeous they are for, for eighteen ninety-nine euros each. That I had six gorgeous jackets that I only spent a hundred and thirty euros on, and I was so proud of myself. I couldn't wait to show my crew. That's what I'm proud of. Is, even though I like these nice things. I love to make a deal and 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 love to spend money on what I like. I'll spend money on the big things, but I watch how I spend it on the little things. I understand. I really do. <laughs> um, so, how did your career go? Why, you know, you sold some stuff. You want a Cadillac. You're a good salesman. Gift of gab, charisma. I get, you know, conviction. You know, right? Determination. I understand all that shit. Where because your dad had a seafood restaurant. Did you work in that seafood restaurant as a kid? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, learned learned, and learned, I learned craft. So I, I learned how the restaurant business works. Yep. Okay, then you go to school, you get out, and uh, I got into the development business, was building homes, got into the video game business, the Pac-Man, Asteroids. Talk to me timed about that. that. I just timed it right. No, no, I, I, need, I don't know this. I don't know, I don't know a lot about anything, so that's why I love having these things. What did you do back, with that? Back, back I in, remember. Back in the 80s, you had Asteroids that came out, and it was the first real video uh-huh. game. And then be, then became Defender and Pac-Man and all of those. Well, I saw that the world was changing, and so I went out and bought these machines and started putting them in restaurants around, and all of a sudden, you're, you're, you know, I look up, and I'm making hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash. Right, okay. you're, and look, are you and literally in, driving your Cadillac around, grabbing buckets of fucking quarters? No, but I was. I went out, you know, probably in the first. You know, I can't remember, but eventually we had a few trucks of doing course. it. Of course, and all I remember but is I mean carrying the all these big bags of quarters, and you know, 
and it was all I know is I was I was in high cotton. I was feeling really good about myself, and uh, did that for a few years, which gave me the opportunity to start building homes and little shopping centers. And then I built my first hotel when I was 26 years old in my hometown, which I still own today. That's cool. And and uh, and that and that's kind of the story. And then the development business came apart. All the banks failed, and in uh, the late 80s, this is a great story, and I talk about it in the book. I had loans at like nine different banks in the late 80s in Texas. And that's when this crisis was as bad as the 08, 09 crisis. The the Black Friday was horrible. That that was the the world came apart. Yep. Every bank that I did business with failed before I did. And so this two million worth of loans, which was a bunch of money in the 80s, okay? There was nobody to pay. All of a sudden you have to make a payment and there's nobody to make a payment to. The bank is gone. The FDIC has shut them motherfuckers down. Okay? Tell me, tell me real quick, because I want you to go back to the point. Please tell the kids here how much $2 million. Give me a number of the way you feel $2 million in 87. What's that equivalent to right now? I would probably say $20 million. You know, yeah. it'd be like having $20 million. You, and so right. I You know what I always talk you about when, you know, I apologize. You know how I always tell my audience, I'm like, you know, my transcending moment in my career was when I was right about YouTube, but I didn't invest in it. <laughs> and then I read when YouTube sold for $1.7 billion to Google. I don't know if you remember this or anybody else in the room. That sounded like a trillion. It oh. was a step. Now, like, companies that don't make any money are worth a billion. But at the time, YouTube sell. This is only 2007. 1.7 billion? Well, it shook me. It, it, it's, a, it's a crazy number. And, I'm, and I'll, I'll give you an example of something. So, so, so basically what happened is I got a reprieve from the governor, okay? And so all of a sudden I had five years to keep growing my business before the FDIC called me and said, uh, Mr. Fertitta, we have some loans here we would like to talk to you about. But by then, I had opened up a bunch of restaurants, made a bunch of money. I walked in and paid the FDIC $2 million. They waived all the interest, and they said, you were the only person to pay us in full. But I was rolling then, and so things were good. Do you want to wait till that thing goes? That, keep that going. I'm fucking pumped. So, so, so <laughs> keep going. You know what? So in 1982, I bought into the Rockets for $200,000. Is that we true? Paid two, I didn't know that. We paid $10 million for the Houston Rockets in 1982. Wait, you got 20% for $2 million? Uh, No, 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 no. I'm Just sorry. on the small percentage. Understood. Okay. One more time, because I didn't hear it. $200,000. 20% would have been $2 million. I got it. So I think, but we also had some debt on it. I think I owned like 3 or 4%. Okay, whatever it was. Okay, so... I'm a partner in the Rockets for 10 years. The owner decides to sell. The general partner says, this is becoming a billionaire's game. Well, this is in 1992, and I'm only worth about $10, 15000000 million. That's, don't get me wrong. That's a bunch of money. Okay. You're contextualizing. So I try to buy. I, I didn't have the ability to buy the team by myself. So I had a partner, and we tried to buy it. And I got outbid by a New Yorker, Les Alexander. He paid $80 million for the team. So in 10 years, the team went from being worth $10 million to $80 million. Okay, now, now here we go. Tim, 25 years later. Before you finish, I just want to remind people, they've heard me say it a lot, the 1982 NBA Finals in America was on tape delay. It was It was The league nothing. was nothing. It was nothing. The it way was, you guys think about hockey right now, this was below that. And, and it's important, I'll tell you why it's important. And the reason I've jumped in twice now, the two million, 20, the league, you and I have a similarity as I'm listening. It's just arbitrage. It's seeing things just enough time before somebody else 
but then having the conviction and the gumption to fucking do something about 100%. So, so think about this. In 1992, I get outbid for 80 million. Okay. 25 years later, I don't get the team, so I'm building my company. So I build, in that 25 years, I grow my net worth from 10 million to almost 5 billion. Okay. That's good. The rockets go up for sale again. 25 years later, two. I come in with the highest bid. I was right there. Most ever paid for a sports franchise, $2.2 billion. So in 25 years, the value of that team goes from $80 million to $2.2 billion. And that's real dollars. This isn't Monopoly money, okay? You wire the money. You pay for it. So, Tell me, were you a, were you a big basketball fan? Uh, this, is, this is so unbelievable. I sit in the same seats today that I sat in for the last 25 years center court. I, I, I was one of the, this is so funny, after I bought the team, I'm one of the 30 longest season ticket holders of the Rockets. I love you. Isn't you, that amazing? And you not get only is it amazing, it's literally gonna be hometown. how, I'm gonna tell this story in 31 years. This is literally what, <laughs> I'm gonna clip this. You know how I clip old shit? I'm gonna clip this and be like, I was sitting in this seat, now I'm here, and some new person, she's sitting in that seat. Like, I fucking understand. Just take me way back. As a super, as a young, young kid, who was your favorite team? Well, you know what's kind of funny is, is because because ba- baseball was religion when you were a kid. When I, and I was the biggest Astros buddy there was. There was Astros all over. But but what happened was they used to have the. You young guys don't know this, but you they don't have know the black, shit. That y'all don't know shit. Y'all really <laughs> don't. Y'all don't know how bad we had it. Go okay? ahead, get him, Tillman. You couldn't even watch the NFL team in Houston, and you lived in Galveston because it was the fifty-mile blackout rule. So you didn't get because they wanted you if, to come to the game. If, that's right. Because could, they, they didn't sell, sell out, they couldn't sell out. They blacked out, you out, which they didn't sell that's out. That's how. Back that's then. how the Raiders and Cowboys and Steelers became all people's fans because when they would black you out they would show you one of those three teams and so in, because Dallas was uh, the next right. because Dallas was the next closest team and all of a sudden remember this when do you become a sports fan nine ten years old so I'm nine ten years old that's when the Cowboys start playing the Green Bay Packers and the Ice Bowls and I'm watching them because the Houston Oilers aren't Tillman, on TV as somebody who's in a market with two other basketball teams in the state of Texas even though it's a big state so I'm gonna give you I have an idea for you that I'm gonna do when I buy the Jets. <laughs> when I buy the Jets, because I hate the Giants more than anything, well not more than the Patriots, but I hate the Giants, right? When I buy the Jets, my core marketing strategy to win the tri-state area is on every single person's sixth birthday, I'm gonna send them a Jets jersey and personalized messages. I think you should start sending six-year-olds jerseys in San Antonio and Dallas of rocket players. Why in the hell did you tell me this on air so I could have said <laughs> that I'm the smart motherfucker that came up with this? You know why? Let me be smart, Tell me This is the greatest strategy I came up with. Because I have good ideas and because I can't execute all of them, I put them out for free so that I can own the IP. Interesting. Right? Interesting, 100%. It's, right? right? Think about all the smart shit, like just getting a sense of you right now. By the way, I'm gonna say this publicly. Uh, I'm not joking. I don't usually, like I had no clue you owned that or how, like I don't know much about a lot of stuff. I just spend 100% of my time on the consumer. I just don't know a lot of stuff. I just know what customers are doing at all times. That's why I don't know much of other stuff. That takes a lot of time. So this gets booked through email. Uh, Matt put us together. But I know of you, of course. And over the last week, I've been with some fancy different people. You know, just like wheel, movers and shakers. 
I, the reason I was so excited to come in here today is I basically live my life for people to talk about me behind my back the way the four people that I spoke to in the last week about you talked about you. Interesting, that is interesting. I, I, I don't know if it was good or bad. It was very good, it was very good. <laughs> no, it was very good because, because what, what is interesting is I'm always fascinated by people that actually know people versus knowing of them. Interesting. You know, my big game in life, there's plenty of people with the way I roll, the cursing, the bravado, the confidence, the conviction, especially if I'm putting pressure on your business, you're not gonna love me. But I care about what the people that actually know me say about me, and in that group, a couple of them really know you, and like, and are also very, very close to me, so they're not gonna bullshit me. It's really cool, I, I like that. I appreciate that, I appreciate it. I like it. that, anyway. So keep going. Well, why'd you write the book? You know, it, it's really interesting. Uh, about 18 months ago, Harper Collins oh, my uh, publisher. called me and said, uh, hey, and we, we watch your television show, Billion Dollar Buyer. We, we, we see you on the, all the business shows, and you always had these Tillmanisms and these one-liners, and we've read all these articles about you, how you say, oh, I can see a burnout light bulb at one of my restaurants from 40,000 feet. And, and uh, they said, we'd like you to write a book. Well, I always thought somebody would say, we want you to write a life story book. And I said, I can't do that until I'm older because I'm still doing deals and I want to rip some people's ass, okay? Yep. So they said, no, we want you do to- Do you garage to, sale? Sir? Do you ever garage sale? Do you roll up on a garage sale and try to buy something for a dollar? Not in a- not That's in Zara a for you, right? Not, not a, Zara is my garage, garage sale. sale. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but did you? I've absolutely when I was younger. I apologize for interrupting, but you said rip somebody's ass, and I'm like, listen, like the the happy. I'll give you a story. I was at the National Sports Card Convention. I got to talk to you about basketball cards before we leave. Like I see a humongous arbitrage in sports cards, and you need to go all in. I'm being dead serious. (laughs) I'm being dead serious with you on the record. Uh, I was at the National Sports Card Convention in Chicago in in late July this year. I walked over to some guy's table, bought a Wayne Gretzky rookie card, not in great condition for 220 bucks. I brought it back to my table, priced it at 260. An hour later, somebody came over and bought it for 260. I swear on everything, that $40 ARB meant more to me than all $50 trillion deals I make every day. Absolutely, because that's what we do. It's that's we like me making do. the deal at Zara for all these yep. jackets on a closeout. That's why I asked you about garage sales. So anyway, the reason you don't want to write a book is you still got a couple moves in you and you don't want to put it out there because the way, that's how you're going to fucking right. do it. But So they just wanted it in a silo and say, talk about how you made it. What, what, what were your philosophies, all your Tillmanisms and you know the 95-5 rule, there What's are no that? spare. You know, 95% of everything we do is right every day in business. But look for the 5% you do wrong and that's what makes you better than everybody else. There are no spare customers, okay? It's a competitive Facts. world in every one of our businesses. Take no out of your damn vocabulary. You, you're, you're on a business trip and it's 11.02, you hang up the phone and, and uh, on a call and you call down to order some breakfast and they say, I'm sorry, sir, uh, we don't serve breakfast anymore. I say, that's okay, no problem. I don't need a waffle or, or an Eggs Benedict. Just throw a couple of eggs in a skillet and send them up, scrambled, however it's easy for you to do. Uh, I'm sorry, sir, we don't serve breakfast. Why are you telling me no? I didn't ask you Preacher. for anything special. Preacher. You're gonna throw a burger in the pan, just throw me a couple of eggs and take care of me. B, you're in the hospitality business, okay? And you're telling me no. And everybody's in the hospitality business no matter what they do. You take care of your customer, okay? 
You take care of your customer. It's no different than we walk in and your people meet us polite. You put a welcome up on the screen. You come in here. Everybody couldn't be. Can I get you some water? Tell me, can, can I do this for you? You're in the service business. Everybody so why is. do you want to be an ass and, and say no to somebody when it's just as easy to say yes or you Tell just give an alternative? Because the company's being run by somebody who's not. Because these companies get big and they hire somebody who fucking went to Harvard and fucking worked at Bain and McKinsey and they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. That's why, Tillman. I love my McKinsey consultants when I see them. I just love them. It's so funny you said that because I have in this book, consultants will consult your ass right out of business. 100%. Okay? And I don't hire consultants. You know why? Because they've never fucking done anything. The, the, uh, unless I need I need a report or that's something, like me telling, and I tell them what I want them to say. That's like me that's telling Russell Westbrook what to fucking do. 100%. Stupid. <laughs> I watch a lot of basketball. I've got ideas. It's fucking stupid. Because you know what you know and what you don't know. It, it's unbelievable. The de- it's why I love athletes. When you really get to know them, it's really fascinating how they talk about fans. They've got whatever variable. No matter how you take it, pro and con, what I, if, you, if you melt every athlete, what they really say when they talk about fans is they just don't know. Whether they say they're assholes or whether they love them, they just understand that they have no fucking idea. They have no context. It's actually my favorite thing that's going on on earth right now. We live in a judgment society. Because of social and everybody has a voice and because the way, we've always been judgmental. That's how humans are. Small little town, somebody said, oh, Ruth's borscht is not as good. Like, we've always been judgmental, <laughs> right? But but now we can see the physical manifestation of it. But the reality is people are judging people left and right without knowing anything about the truth. Nobody knows you. Nobody. Nobody. And that's why when, when, when I have a good friends that'll say to me, you know, I was over here and I was at a bar and they were trashing your ass and I'll say to them, well, do you know Tillman Fertitta? Uh, no, but that's what I heard. You know, Because people don't like people on top, okay? And, and, and you're on top, I'm on top. And, and, and I do think people, though, are, are getting a little nicer, though. I think people now seem well, to listen, we have respect ma- you listen, or whatever. We have macro anxiety in the ecosystem, and eventually that becomes tiring, and people go, like, the world just ebbs and flows. It's not super complicated, <laughs> you know? Tell me, so what, what was the breakthrough? So I like the story, because I want to go back, because I like learning from storytelling, and you're doing a great job at it. You don't have to pay back for an extra five. That gives you ammo. What was the, you have all these great brands, so I'm really excited to dig in here a little bit. Because, by the way, my entire company, which we're a global marketing company, a thousand people, big business, it's all a front. I'm building all this infrastructure to do what you and I do at scale, which is when the economy collapses, I'm gonna buy historic brands and refurbish them. And that's what I do. And I was the first person out there to, to start a platform and saying, um, like, let me give you an example. So I go public in 1993. With, with what? With, with 10 restaurants. Land, Which ones? Landry Seafood House. Yep. I'm making $6 million a year in EBITDA, and all of a sudden you wake up, and you're on the NASDAQ, and you're worth $100 million. Right. So over the next few years, I build restaurants, and then I, I re, then we hit a dip in, in, in the late 90s. The Why? tech dip. The tech dip. Okay. You mean but the market? The market did. And so all and so of a sudden. your stock price went down. Yes. I understand. But at the same time. Was I your had, business healthy though? Just my business was healthy. And you know this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What your stock does and the Has health nothing that you have. To do. Nothing, nothing to do with each other. You know, like, f- oh, Cisco Mr. Numbers. Tell me, wait a minute. This is actually completely confusing to me. You were a public CEO? Yes, for how 18 the, years. How the fuck did you deal with that shit? Because I performed and. You I told always, them to go fuck themselves? No, and. You had to a little bit. 
You're right. You had to tell these people on the earning call who would like try to ticky tack you on some bullshit. And the, you're the playing. The longer f- I got and the richer I got, I put up with less. Okay, but I, okay. I can remember. But you got under. But, but you got leverage under, is a funny thing. No, but but it's it's interesting because and why I you, had a, bo- I, you I did, had a board that like was all in on you. Let me let me please. First off, I, it, when I took it public, I owned a hundred percent. Okay. Okay. That's uh, an easy way to start. So so it was my board. It was, it was you. It was my. I had a board, but it was my board. It was okay. you. And and uh, and if you keep over fifty percent, you only have to have an outside audit committee. You don't even have to have an outside board, so you don't have to have a compensation committee and all that. I understand. Okay. So so I basically controlled the company for many many years, but I grew it from a thirty million dollar company to when I took it private, being an opportunist. You know, x amount of years later, to a multi-billion-dollar company, but but uh, we 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 got off track somewhere. But what happened is, don't worry, it's I, not the I first realized, time in no, this but I realized I realized that I could go buy somebody and get rid of their GNA and bring them to Houston and keep the store operations, but not have all that overhead. And so over that the was next the because over the next twenty years, what I did was, and I can tell you every city that I shut down somebody from Portland, McCormick and Schmick to, to Chicago, uh, Chart House's home offices were there and Martin's home offices were there in, in uh, Laguna Beach it was Bubba Gump and Claim Jumper and I can just go from city to city Minneapolis it was Ocean Air and Rainforest so I bought all these companies and I just shut their office down and consolidate in, in, in Houston and save millions and millions and millions on G&A and, and so I built this platform and I bought all these companies right and, and re rejuvenated them if they needed it some of them weren't even screwed up they were just screwed up public companies but they were i bought rainforest for 75 million dollars and it was making 30 million a year and had 15 million in the bank but but their stock had fallen because their growth slowed down but it was a great company to buy and back then everybody else was scared private equity hadn't gotten into consumer businesses yet and people that are strategics wouldn't buy them because well i'm a ceo they might fire my ass if i screw mm-hmm. up well i said fuck this i'll go buy the world and he, took my money worth from a few hundred million to billions yep then what happened buying stuff better keep going motherfucker <laughs> okay so you built that up you built that up you built that up and the, and, like, and then in 10 well a lot of them happened after 10 okay but in 08 and 09 when the crisis and every stock yeah. went down yep. i went back and bought a hundred percent of my company again yep and today uh because you were liquid enough i was liquid enough and knew yeah. how to financially engineer it that's it and and uh today it's probably truly the single largest one shareholder company in america you know everybody's got a one percent partner or this or that it is 100 percent me and my family and and uh, four billion in revenue 700 million in ebitda it's fucking amazing so it's been a good ride have you been paying attention have you been paying it so you're still actively running it fuck yeah who else is gonna run it? i don't know i mean you said eight yeah oh you said yes 18 years you took it private yeah and then i'm still listen i don't know shit about you obviously i mean i know you're fucking better go read my fucking i don't read shit (laughs) did you look at my fucking report card (laughs) tell me talk to me about this are you paying attention to the disruption, that potential, this is something that's probably on your radar, especially the video game, by the way, at some point we'll have dinner, I can feel it already, and I really, really need you to tell me the war stories about the video game thing, because I fucking, I I love that shit. (laughs) But are you paying attention to these, you know, virtual kitchens 
Are you, because I'm very fast, you know, this is early for me, you're much deeper expertise, but I think fast casual and QSR have a looming potential concern very similar to the way I felt about retail 10 years ago around these virtual kitchens and people building brands on top of that infrastructure and actually just being marketing companies and doing last mile delivery at scale in a decade. Is this on your mind? I see all of it and I think about all of it, but food to me is still a personal thing and I I just don't think you're Personal going to as in you'll go somewhere? No, yes, and how you eat it and who prepared it or whatever. So I don't know that the the virtual kitchen is it is it going to ever work? So you're saying from you know, maybe from a fast food drive-in infrastructure that will disrupt it because that's a mobile play, but things that go a little bit higher up where you're actually going to People it. People are going to always like it if you can if it helps you quicker. You know, technology yeah. speed makes wins. It spit, speed, speed wins. wins. Okay, but I still think that you still want to touch and feel at the same time. It'll touch be and, interesting. Hold on, let's keep playing this because I'm fascinated by your take. Touch and feel is in like I have to Talking go to, to the place. Go to the place. That I talk believe. About it. That I believe. And and but and, I think on the delivery front, it, there's it's going to be an, a fascinating debate. There is a there is a delivery issue though, and this is the problem. You've got all the home delivery companies. They're all underwater. The, they're all underwater. All I invested in one. Yeah, they're all and underwater. I'm underwater. Okay. Yeah. Matter of fact, I'm drowning. You fucking drowned. No, no, you fucking. You're no, actually dead. I wasn't drowned. I drowned. Yeah, you're dead. Uh, <laughs> we went to the funeral. It was amazing. Okay, but because the, the problem is, is that. It's expensive because of labor costs today and fuel costs and everything else. And then the delivery companies want a 20% discount at least or a little more, a little less. The restaurants don't make any money then because that's our margin. Yep. Okay, so they're not happy. We're not happy. So I really don't know where it's going if you want to know the truth. That I agree with because that infrastructure, does. the drivers aren't winning, the restaurants aren't winning, the platforms are not winning. That's dead. I think that the next step that's being built quietly right now, which is the infrastructure to make the food at scale within a one mile radius of an enormous percentage of our society is gonna be a totally different game. I will totally, once again, we all come up with great ideas and this is gonna work. Blue Apron, people are gonna never go out to dinner again. They're gonna fix this. this. Let me ask you this. Do you, this is just a fun thing because you know, in 10 years, we'll watch this video and we'll, we'll get a kick because the, by the way, what I know about you, because I'm listening for sure, is 99% of people don't play the way we play because they're scared to lose. No fear. I, I love no losing. Fear. And I mean it. I actually mean it. I, I Because that means I fucked up. I deserve it. I deserve it. I never blame anything else. I did some, something, I did something wrong. Full fucking accountability. Nonetheless, do you believe, I be, let me rephrase it. Do you agree with this statement? Because I think you may not, which is amazing. I believe that in a decade, there will be a restaurant that looks like Shake Shack, that looks like you know uh, Chick-fil-A, that looks like Fast, 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 or QSR, that actually has no locations, but is a billion dollar enterprise in sales of their product on the framework of these kitchens at scale around the world. True or false? Possibly could happen. That's Poss- not an answer. True or false? We're going to... False. Gonna, awesome. Now we have a fun dinner in 10 years. No. Because, now we have a fun dinner. No, because I've even... Okay. I have so many brands... I know I gotta go. I know I gotta go. I have so many brands in Houston. I've thought about building just one kitchen and I let everything it. go out of there. I get it. Okay, but then your, your delivery pie is only going to be so big. Yeah, unless you 
hit infrastructure at scale. Listen, I gotta run because I have a public appearance, but I'm fucking pissed because we haven't even started. So we need to hack this. You, you're, how often are you in Houston? Always? Half the time? No, no, I have a place here in New York also. I'm, I'm up here we at need least to once a month. Are you willing to do part two with me on this? Absolutely, All right. absolutely. When's the book, is the book out? The book came out yesterday. Awesome. It's ordered on Every Amazon. Every single or- person that's watching, buy this book. Thanks guys for listening. Please, please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed because a bunch of you aren't subscribed and more importantly, a bunch of you listen every day and haven't told your friends it's the best podcast in the world. I'm watching. <laughs> Have a great day.